Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Show. Today we've got another monologue with Norisworthy. Yeah, mm, need to come up with something better than that. Uh, yeah, I got something, uh, another monologue. Uh, let me tell you about a few things we've got coming up, though. Um, uh, if you haven't listened to the David Bentley Hart podcast from last week, um, that was a special one. Got a lot of a lot of feedback on that one, uh, including multiple people saying that he reminded them of the character played by David Spade on The Office with the title Robert California, and I really I really like that. Now, can I confirm or deny that he was not actually Robert California and that David Spade... Is that his name? David Spader? Spader? Anyway, whatever his name is. That it actually was not David Bentley Hart playing that character? I can't. I can't confirm or deny, but I will let you know what I told the Twitter. And I told the Twitter that uh, my own internal accounting said that uh, David Bentley Hart was the second cast member of The Office to be on the podcast. So do what you want with that. Um, We've got... uh, It's probably going to happen over the next week or two. Uh, another, I think I'm gonna bring dad back on the podcast. He hasn't been on in a while. And so if you want to do some, uh, if you have a mailbag question or two, uh, feel free to send that in. Maybe we'll get to that with uh, me and the old man. We'll talk about it. Uh, we've got a, um, uh, another movie we're going to do. Um, took a, took a look at the old, um, Tom Hanks movie that, uh, it's coming out, I guess it's next week, next weekend. Um, the, uh, what is it called? Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, the um, Mr. Rogers story, which is, it's not really just about Mr. Rogers. Um, It's actually a little bit more than that, but it was a good movie, and I think I'll probably have uh, some people from that movie on. We'll do a little podcast about that one, and uh, the episode with my dad will kind of be depending on when that movie one happens. So uh, feel free to send those uh, podcast questions in for the next week. Uh, if, if, if I have one about the movie, then you have two weeks to turn them in. Nevertheless, um, that's not what we're doing right now. We're not talking about David Bentley Hart. We're not talking about Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. We're not even talking about my dad as much as I love the dad. We're not talking about him. Um, I've got something else uh, I want to read to you. Uh, it's uh, something I've been working on. It is not my next book. Uh, I've read a couple chapters of what might be uh, another project, a writing project down the road, but it is not my next book. Some have asked that, and it is not that. Uh, I will tell you more about the next book. Um, as we get closer to the spring of next year, and there's actually some more information that will come out around then. But right now, this is uh, something else. So sit back, relax. Let's do the thing. It's gonna, I'm going to start telling you a story um, because I think everyone likes stories. If they don't, there's something wrong with them. All right, here we go. To him, the only viable option was divorce. The missteps of the past couldn't be undone, so in his mind, their futures went in divergent directions. But to me, it was a divorce that made no one better. It only made everyone involved destined for a worse future. Now, as a young minister just out of seminary, I remember the disillusionment I felt when an older minister mentioned that a guy from his church was actually better off divorcing his wife because she was, quote, crazy. That moment was like when, years before, someone told me that both professional wrestling and Santa Claus wasn't real, which was especially painful because I thought Hulk Hogan was Santa Claus. As a young preacher, I couldn't believe another minister of the gospel would see the benefit of someone breaking a covenant with God and another person. But, fast forward to this guy, but when this guy said he and his wife were getting a divorce, I knew that even the most jaded minister 
couldn't see this as a good divorce. This decision was like when you think you can outsmart the slowed traffic on the highway by exiting onto the service road, only to soon find yourself sitting in a gridlock on the access road while the slow traffic on the highway continues to move steadily forward. This guy thought he could find a shortcut to happiness, but he was just making his journey towards the intimacy he actually desired that much longer. He wasn't better without her, despite her faults, and that's not to mention their kids, who undoubtedly would be the ones carrying most of the weight from their parents' transgressions in the future. So in my professional opinion, this was the time to approach the in-emergency break glass phrases. Stepping up upon one's high horse to talk down to someone else rarely leads to anything good, but high horses do exist for a reason. So here's what I said. If you go through with this divorce for that new relationship to ever have a chance of being healthy, you will have to first inspect the hurt, the wounds, and the shame that exists within your soul right now, which you haven't taken the time to inspect. For it to work, you will have to do a lot of work on yourself. The same interpersonal work required to make your next relationship work is the work that's required for you to make this current relationship work. And you will be doing this work with a person who doesn't really know you. They weren't there when you were a poor college student. And this person will never love your son and your daughter half as much as the mother of your children does. Say what you want about her, but she loves your children, as in the children that both of you share. And on top of all that rubble, this new relationship will have to be built upon the crappiness of divorce that is known as custody battles, alimony, missing Christmas Day, and the likelihood that some other man will be with your kids as much as you are. And I wasn't done yet. You will be lucky to spend half your days with your kids. For as miserable as you think your marriage is, how much more miserable will your life be when you go to bed half the nights of the few years left of your kids' childhood without them in your house? No matter how great your sex life is for the time being, your career, your finances, at best, all of that, at best your life will only have 90% of what your life could be. Now, 90%, I don't, know where I got the number 90%. I've got no clue, but I I went with it because like they say, 75% of all statistics are made up on the spot. This was definitely one of those. 90%, honestly, that was probably a little bit too high. Anyway, sure. Right now, you don't feel anywhere close to 90% of happiness. Marriage is hard and yours is in a tough spot, but it can get better, but it also can get worse. Your best case scenario with the post-divorce chapter of your life is to get your happiness to 90% of what it could be right now. And who is to say that your next relationship will be better than this one? You are still the same person you are that led to this relationship's problems. Who is to say that your issues will not create the same or worse problems with the next one? Now, I've regret many comments I've made in my life. Some are so regrettable that I would rather lie about them than ever share them in public. But I don't think this is one of them. With the hindsight of a few years, I don't think my main point of only experiencing a percentage of what God intends was wrong about him. But I also don't think the main point was only true about him. God offers forgiveness when we make mistakes. But forgiveness doesn't eradicate the shrapnel created by sinful decisions. 
God forgives people for fraudulent business practices, but divine forgiveness doesn't dismiss the years one owes to the American penal system. God forgives people for their sexual misconduct, but the relational and personal damage doesn't disappear. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs, but life does. Scripture says that God hates divorce. I don't think God hates divorce because God hates divorced people, but rather God hates the effects of divorce on all involved. Elsewhere, uh, Scripture lists more things that God hates, and one can easily see that it's from a shared disdain for the effects of them. Uh, Proverbs 6 says, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that hurry to run to evil, a lying witness who testifies falsely, and one who sows discord in a family. God hates haughty, arrogant eyes because when you look down upon someone else, you miss the shared divinity which exists within both of you. God hates lies because with the presence of deceit, the truth isn't experienced. God hates innocent blood being shed probably because every life matters. God hates wicked plans and the feet that run to enact them, like when David schemed to kill Uriah, the husband of the pregnant woman Bathsheba, that David had forced himself upon, probably because David's transgressions robbed the life that God had given everyone else. God hates lies which create division because God's intention is for all to live together peacefully. God despises any actions— that prevents someone from receiving all 100% of the God-intended intended abundant life. Yet all of us have made choices in our past that create a suboptimal reality for our present. Some will never experience the blessings of a lifelong faithful and monogamous covenant because we poorly chose a fleeting and forbidden moment. Some will always feel alienated from others because of their own judgmental and arrogant actions in the past— some of us carry today financial worry because of an earlier lack of self-control. Through a myriad of reasons, we've all lowered the ceiling from 100% of God's intention for us. We've all wronged our future self by what we've done in the past. I was with a few friends in New York not too long ago when we devolved into a conversation about how much water we consume daily I don't remember how that subject got brought up because it was a fluid conversation. But at one point, my friend Chris states that he only drinks 20 ounces of water a day. Now, I'm no doctor, but I feel like that's a recipe for something bad to happen. After the trip concludes and we all go back home, the next I hear from Chris is him sending a group text about how he just got out of an emergency room down in Florida after spending a night in the hospital for a kidney stone. Now, I'm too nice of a friend to respond to his text by saying that maybe he should have been drinking more than 20 ounces of water a day, but I'm not too nice of a friend to not write about it uh, as an illustration of how we all made choices in the past that make for a painful future. Because I just did that. Anyway, this couple, a new couple, another people. Years ago, they had just finished serving their country in the military. And now they were ready to build his dental practice and expand their family. They decided upon a charming small town on the beach where they bought a beautiful waterfront, undeveloped lot. Uh, soon after breaking ground on their dream home, the undeveloped lot next door goes on the market for $50,000. 
It was a good amount of money for them at the time, though something they could have covered. But they decided to pass on purchasing the lot for $50,000. Fast forward a few decades, their kids have now grown up and moved out. The dental practice has flourished, and they still live in the same beautiful waterfront home. And the next door lot remains undeveloped and covered only by massive trees. Until one day when the lot is again placed in the market, this time with an asking price in the seven figures. Can you imagine every day seeing the remainder, the, excuse me, the reminder of a million dollar mistake you've made that you can't go back and undo? I know that for sale sign would grate at my soul because I'm the kind of person who will demand that we run it back if by some miracle my brother ever beats me in any competition. I'm the type of preacher that whenever I preach a bad sermon, I'm getting to work early Monday morning to forget about the last sermon by doing my best to write a new good sermon. I like the feeling of righting a wrong, but life doesn't always give us that opportunity on most of the things that matter the most. Life doesn't let every wrong be righted. For many of the things in life that carry more weight than how we feel about one day's performance at work or a game of ping pong, they can't be run back. There are countless signs displayed all around us that remind us just how unable we are to fix those wrongs that have lowered our future selves' happiness. Signs that remind us that love keeps no record of wrongs, but life does. And now back to the conversation with the soon-to-be divorce guy. I've thought of that conversation many times over the past decade because it's the type of conversation that sticks with you, like the terrible song that replays in your head for an entire day, both on repeat probably for the same reason. Uh, speaking of songs that get stuck in your head, isn't it always the worst songs that get stuck in your head? It's never the song you really want in your head that's on replay in your head for an entire day. It's always the song that makes you wonder how it ever got produced and shared with the world, right? Now, one theory for why that is, is because our minds work towards completion. The brain intuitively wants to hear a song until its conclusion. But with a bad song, most of us will not force our ears to hear any extra seconds of that song because we turn it off immediately. While our ears are happy with no longer having to hear it, the unsatisfied brain is stubbornly resistant to incompletion. So it replays the song for the rest of the day because it isn't done yet. And maybe that's why the conversation with the soon-to-be-divorced guy stays with me because it too is incomplete. If I could have, I'd if I could have it again, I, I wouldn't sugarcoat that he has created a suboptimal future for himself. I'd say the same thing, but I would want him to know that even though he can't change what he's done, there's a way to find contentment with that suboptimal future. Love keeps no record of wrong, but life does. So one must choose between these two competing voices for which one will be the one we trust. Which voice will be the one we listen to? Life will remind you of the consequences. It will point out the loss that you've both experienced and created. Life will illuminate the signs of the grief that you carry and the shame that you feel. Love 
will incessantly whisper of another perspective on your reality. Love will teach you to find the serenity that enables you to accept the things that you cannot change. Love shows you how to accept the unchangeable things, and this is all called grace. We have the freedom to choose which voice, but the more you give ear to one, the louder the voice becomes. Given enough time, the voice of love can serenely accept grace. Equally true, giving ear to the other voice will leave us at the end of our days full of resentment and bitterness for all that life could have been if we hadn't squandered it. Our old friend Ronald Rollheiser, Father Rollheiser, wrote in his book, Holy Longing, the following words. Near the end of our lives, many of us struggled to move beyond the death of our dreams, beyond how we have been wounded and cheated, and beyond all the resentment that come with aging. This is one of the final tests of the spiritual life, the movement from resentment to gratitude, from cursing to blessing, from bitterness to graciousness. Elsewhere, Father Rollheiser writes that in the first half of life, we struggle with the sensuality, the greed, and sexuality. But in the second half of life, our struggle is with forgiveness and anger. The first half of life struggles can often create the resentment which become the second half of life struggles. He writes in Sacred Fire, As we age, we need to forgive. Forgive those who hurt us, forgives ourselves, for our own mistakes, forgive life for having been unfair, and then forgive God for seemingly not having protected us. All of this so that we do not die bitter and angry, which is perhaps the greatest religious imperative of all. Let me read that again. All of this so that we do not die bitter and angry, which is perhaps the greatest religious imperative of all. The way of love or the way of life is a choice that we choose freely, but we don't get to choose the outcomes these voices have upon us. They each harvest a different fruit at the end of the season. The way of life harvests bitterness and anger. The way of love harvests the grace to accept that I am not right enough, that I have not always done right by others or even by my own self. And it accepts the reality that this is my reality, this is my circle, this is my life, that it isn't all that it could or possibly should have been, but nevertheless, it is my reality, my life, my circle, and for that, I can be content. I can be content with every bit of me. Now, some of you might have heard what happened on April 11th, 1996. The writer Larry LaPrize passed away. He was 93, it was a peaceful passing until they tried to place his left leg in the coffee. That was not the right word. Until <laughs> uh, It was a peaceful passing until they tried to place his left leg in the coffin, much different than coffee. Larise, who is most known for writing the hokey pokey, uh, then began to shake it all about. Um, if I didn't mess up with the coffee coffin thing, that would have been better timing. Never mind. Um, I'm going to leave that there, though. Because as the hokey pokey teaches us, it's easy to put a little bit in, but it becomes a problem when you're trying to keep your whole... Okay, I'm going to work on that. 
But just imagine that was really, it would have been smooth if I would have not done the coffee thing. Anyway, point is it's hard to put your entirety in the circle. Now, the goal of healthy spirituality is to live an integrated life. Religion from the Latin for religament, as in rejoin, brings every bit of ourselves together. Religion that leads to duplicity and deceit isn't the life-giving religion Jesus taught us, because that leads to a disintegrated humanity with simplistic categories like good people and bad people. They are great categories for kids who need simple cues for how to navigate life, which is why we teach kids to avoid, quote, bad people, because kids need to learn those who try to hurt them and those who will help them. But life becomes more complex when you start to put faces around stories and histories behind simple categories. The new cottage industry of anti-heroes from our beloved Walter White to Tony Soprano to Dexter Morgan to the original bad guy for whom we root, Don Vito Corleone of The Godfather. The way that we side with these not good people speaks to our awareness that the clear distinctions we desire don't validate our experience of life, which is far more gray. There's a sad moment in life when you realize that Good people aren't always good, and that the bad people aren't always bad. When we see the man after God's own heart was to many as evil of a character as we saw depicted in The Godfather of Breaking Bad, it's not very pleasant. But there's an even sadder moment when we realize that our own self doesn't fit in either of those categories. The entirety of ourselves, the beautiful and the dastardly moments, don't fit within the simplistic black and white categories. But the religion of grace rejoins us by giving us an ability to be content with both our sinner and saint moments. The way of love enables us to have the grace to accept every bit of who we are. Because what's within our circle, our reality, our right now, isn't just a good person or a bad person. It's an entire person with both beautiful moments and moments of great shame. And while our righteousness isn't enough, our unrighteousness also is not enough to disqualify us. And the invitation is to listen to the voice of love, which points us to the way of grace, which says, even though you might have wounded and affected and altered your future reality, that there is a way to accept these things which you cannot change and to find grace in that moment. Friends, thank you for listening. Grace and peace be with you. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.